This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. Matthew chapter 6. Now, we've already concluded, as of last week, we concluded the teachings on eye service. And so let's just go ahead and jump right into the new material. Let's begin in verse 19. Jesus, beginning a new subject, says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and, corrust, moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither must moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now this is another one of those very well-known lessons. It's, um, uh, I should say, very well memorized. It's something that's easy to quote. It's something that's easy to remember. It's a little bit more difficult to apply it because we live in a natural, physical world where you have to work for a living. You have to do something to earn uh, your keep and to pay your bills and things like that. Well, this is, he's not telling us to not, how do I phrase this? I want to be careful how I say this. So it doesn't sound like I'm explaining something away. You know what I mean? He's not telling us not to earn. He's not telling us not to save. He's not telling us not to be wise. But this opens up a deeper teaching on subjects of anxiety and being overcome with earthly cares and being um, misguided in our priorities. And that's one of those things that's always kind of a threat, sometimes more, sometimes less. It's always a threat to the believer of being overcome with too much concern for earthly cares. Now, again, let me emphasize this again. He's not telling us not to be financially responsible. He's not telling us not to be wise with our, with our money and our finances. What he is telling us is not to let that eclipse our concern for greater things spiritual things, being right with God. Because what happens is when you turn money into your priority, and this will come up a little bit more, a little bit later, just a very little bit later in this chapter, when you turn money into your highest priority, then that becomes your idol. It becomes your God. It eclipses God. You begin making excuses for not paying tithes, for not giving in an offering. And then, then you start to talk like this. You start to talk like this. Oh, well, God understands. God understands. God understands. And that becomes a cop-out. And that has much deeper problems that come with that later on down the line. So let's read this again with this little bit of preamble. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. And he tells us why right here in the same couple of verses. Where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. That's why he's telling us it's not because laying up treasures is an evil thing to do. Okay, there's nothing wrong with wealth. And you know, we're not a health and wealth type of church. We, we don't turn the gospel into uh, an obsession with getting things and getting money. But there's that misconception that comes into the mind of some believers that you know, it's, it's, like there's, it's like the road is crowned and we just have this natural inclination to drive off into one ditch of extremism or the other ditch of extremism. 
into thinking that Christianity is godly, or excuse me, Christianity is gain when it's not. It's not about stuff that we can get, or into thinking that um, poverty is somehow virtuous. We covered this earlier in, in the book of Matthew in, in our red letter teachings. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Why? Because moth and rust can corrupt them. And because thieves can break in and steal. Thieves can hack. We were just talking about that. Thieves, <laughs> thieves can cause all kinds of problems. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because neither moth, moth nor rust doth corrupt. And thieves can't break through and steal what you lay up in heaven. And it's a whole different kind of treasure that he's talking about. It's an entirely different kind of wealth that he's talking about. And we know that. That's not a revelation there. You can't send your paycheck or your 401k up into the kingdom of heaven and then count on that being safe. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Spiritual treasures are fundamentally different than earthly treasures. Spiritual treasures are the safest kind of things in the world, the safest kind of treasures in the world. Now, no, you can't use them to pay your mortgage directly. Well, what, what are examples of spiritual treasures? Well, I think you could make a case for, you know, any kind of the fruit of the Spirit, any kind of a, of a practiced, exercised virtue when done so with a pure heart. I would think that that could be considered a spiritual treasure because there's reward for such things. There is. It's not why we do them, but we're not going to we're not going to shirk that or or, or uh, forsake that reward, and we're not going to back down from talking about it because Jesus made it very clear, and the apostles made it clear. There is reward in heaven for good deeds well done with a pure heart, not a greedy heart. And again, that sort of teaching is directed at believers, not at those that are trying to do good things to earn a place in heaven, because that doesn't work. We've covered that many, many times. We understand it. But spiritual treasures. Well, what's another example of a spiritual treasure? Now, this might sound, this might sound, um, trite's not the right word. This might sound like a cliche, but faith really is a spiritual treasure. Think about it. You think about it. Faith is the currency of heaven. At least I've always thought of it that way. It's the currency of heaven. It's the thing which moves the hand of God. When you believe and stand upon those beliefs and let that belief influence the way that you live, as we often try to reinforce, to keep that connection between belief and action connected, intact, so that we're not just professors, so that we are, as James said to be, doers of the word. Well, faith is very much a spiritual treasure because when you have faith in God, then you have no worries that your needs will be met. And there's more to come on this in tonight's Bible study. You've got no worries or fears whatsoever that your needs will be met because you know that God has you in his hand and you know that he has your situation under control. And he wants us to be that way. When he tells us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us, he means that quite literally. Cast them. Throw them. Throw them at the feet of Jesus. Throw them into the hands of the Father. Turn your back and walk away and go do, go do the things that God wants us to do. And he will take care of us. But... That's a big leap for a lot of people because they're, they're afraid to even try that. 
Well, so, well, my faith is small. I don't have that kind of faith. Okay, well, you can. And one way that you can is by exercising and practicing that faith which you have. And there's messages preached on this sort of thing. The law of increasing returns. The more that you use, the more that you get back. Imagine going to a gas tank and filling up your car and then driving for a few miles. And, and then it turns out you've got more gasoline than when you started. You know, that could actually become a problem in the long term. But, but it, it can, you know, uh, conceptually, it's, it's the same way. The more you exercise your muscles, the greater muscle mass you have and the more efficient that it is, the stronger you become. Faith is the same way. And so faith could be argued, you could argue that it is very much a spiritual treasure. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And then he gives us the reason, the ultimate reason for it, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's why. That's why. Now to a Bible-believing, God-fearing, Holy Spirit-filled, born-again Christian. I know, I know I put a lot of qualifiers in there. But to a genuine Christian, well, they're going to watch themselves and not let their hearts get fixed upon earthly treasures anyway. Whether they're millionaires or whether they're poor. But this teaching, you have to remember who Jesus was teaching. He was teaching unsaved Jews and I mean unsaved in the in the very uh, in the conventional sense Jesus hadn't died yet nobody was saved yet okay as far as as far as a genuine born-again salvation experience was concerned it, because that that experience didn't exist yet Jesus hadn't died and I know I've paved that a lot but it's good to remember that always remember in studying the teachings of Jesus who he was teaching he was teaching unsaved Jews now many of them may have been devout law abiding and I mean law of Moses abiding and faithful and sincere believers and so that was the expression of faith in the Old Testament was by uh, abiding by an obedience to the law of Moses so many of them may very well have fit within that category but they have these were not people with converted hearts that's really the, the expression the terminology that I'm looking for they didn't have converted hearts yet and so they believed in God, they trusted in God, and so on, but their hearts had not yet been changed because they hadn't been touched by the blood of Jesus. So the temptation to let their hearts be mm, fixed upon earthly treasures and earthly wealth would have been stronger just by merit of that fact. Moving on. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if that which is most valuable to you, if that which is most precious to you, is what is stored up in heaven if your heart is on the kingdom of heaven you see what we're saying that's what well if your heart's there then that's where your heart's going to be well that's that that's not that's kind of redundant if your treasure is there if that which you most value is there as opposed to in this life then your heart is going to be there as opposed to this life i remember a writer talking about um a person uh, gaining the sensation that he was really finding his place in the world when really the world was finding its place in him. That ties directly into this. Where is our heart fixed on? What is our heart most thoroughly fixed upon and attached to? Is it the junk of this life? And ultimately, it is junk. It's important to us, and there's things that are nice, yes, but in the eternal sense, there isn't a thing that we own that does not qualify as junk, no matter how fancy the car, and no matter how big and nice the house. 
Not that I have anything against either one, but it's all going to burn one day. It's important to remember that. It's important to remember that. So where should my heart be? Fixed on things above. Fixed on God, fixed on the kingdom of God, fixed on the things of God. Verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thine whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? All right, now that might sound a little bit confusing, but it's, it's a simple uh, lesson. And uh, I want to use the word dichotomy, but I don't think I have that quite down quite enough or, or quite right. So it's a simple contrast in light and dark. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thine whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? It's a lesson on single-mindedness. It's a lesson on single-mindedness. The light of the body is the eye. And if thine eye be single, it doesn't have anything to do with marital status. It has everything to do with focus and attention. If thine eye be single, thy whole, thy whole body shall be full of light. If we have an eye single, if we have uh, a focused mind and a single-minded uh, approach towards God and the Word of God, then this ties back to being a city on a hill that cannot be hid and being the light of the world. Have you ever met somebody that was just so distracted by everything that they couldn't focus on any one thing at all? And that, you know, jumps over to the other thing that I say a lot, that's, that multitasking is a myth, because it is, and I'm sticking to my guns on that. They say, well, I'm a great multitasker. No, you're not. You're a great monotasker who is uh, very good at switching tracks very frequently. That's all it is. You can only ever focus on one thing at a time. Here, he's saying, if we focus on God and the things of God, our whole body shall be full of light. Have you ever met somebody who was like that where the gospel of Jesus Christ was concerned? Where they were just addicted to it and obsessed with it. And those two words, addiction and obsession, are almost uniformly negative. But he does refer, the Apostle Paul does speak of a particular group of people, a particular, I think it was a family or a, or a particular church, where they had, quote, addicted themselves to the gospel. No, to the ministry. They had addicted themselves to the ministry. So addictions can be either good or bad. It depends on what you're addicted to. And it, and it depends on how you handle it. So to be addicted to things pertaining to God can be very, very good because it'll make your eyes single and it'll, it'll make your focus very, very tight, very intense. And people will notice that. There's so much that can be extracted from these lessons as far as how people can be influenced by our relationship with God and how people can be influenced for the good by our relationship with God if we'll cultivate it the way that it ought to be. And I'm not saying that, you know, to the neglect of the necessities of the body. You don't just quit your job and then go live off in the wilderness because uh, you got this inspiration to be alone with God all the time, especially if you have a family. And I say that because that was a real problem a long time ago. What we know of today is monasticism. This is just a quick rabbit trail into some church history. The monastic orders had their roots in what was called monachism. And monachism was uh, people just casting off society and, 
and launching out into the wilderness, out into the desert and out into the wherever it was, depending on where they lived, to just be hermits, to be religious hermits and just be alone with God and be spiritual because it didn't take a whole lot to do that, especially in those days, people uh, were a lot more self-sufficient. They were a lot more self-sufficient. They know things that have been forgotten in, in developed countries now, but they would go out and do that and just live alone and then just claim that they were being a religious hermit or whatever. And it actually became a problem. You may not realize this, but it became a huge problem in the Roman Empire. So much so that the emperor at that time actually had to pass a law, make a decree, and say, if you've got a wife and kids that you've bailed out on so that you can go be a hermit, they would be dragged by force back to their homes and their families. So, man, where did all this come from? Being single-minded. It's good to be single-minded. God will focus your single-mindedness in a good way, in a correct approach, so that you're not neglectful of things that we're responsible for. Husbands, you have, a, you have an irrevocable, uh, irreversible responsibility to the woman that you're married to. You have to provide for them. Wives, likewise. You have the same kind of responsibility for your husband, the same permanent responsibility towards your husband to help him, be with him, okay? Uh, children, likewise, responsibilities to their parents. Parents, responsibilities to their children. There, there are responsibilities that come in this life. You can't just abandon, but God makes a way for us to fulfill those responsibilities and still be single-minded in our approach to the gospel and in our service to God. And hopefully this will come up in our, in our, in our first School of Virtue class that we're planning for um, probably next week if I'm able to get it all put together in time because it's going to be about marriages. It's going to be about marriages because so few people really know how to be married nowadays. And I know we keep saying that. But if you'll notice, and I know, that, okay, it's not such a short rabbit trail. If you'll notice in Paul's teachings on the subject of marriage and on Jesus' teachings on the subject of marriage, that there's a Christian way to do anything that is not wrong, okay? I have to put that qualifier in there because there are lots of things that a person can do that are just plain wrong. There's no right way to do a wrong thing. Does that make sense? There's no right way to be an adulterer and there's no right way to be a drug dealer. You, you know what I'm saying? You, you gotta understand what we're, what we're saying. But anything that a person does that is intrinsically either benign or right or whatever the case may be, there's a Christian way to approach it. There's a Christian way to approach it. So let your eye be single where your service to God is concerned. Let your whole self be filled with the light of God. And it will catch people's attention. And we need to catch people's attention. I mean, I'm not talking about just this congregation, okay? This isn't a plug on, on, on just our own focused outreach here in this church. I'm talking about genuine born-again Christians need to catch people's attention. Because there's far too many fakes, frauds, phonies, and people that are just watered down in their belief. There's far too many of them. And unfortunately, they're the ones that catch people's attention. They're the ones that, that people look at and think, man, I don't want to go to church because it's nothing but hypocrites. That's where that cop-out comes from. Because of all of the lukewarm believers that are out there. We don't want to be like them. Because they don't bring glory to God. And I'm not being unduly judgmental here. 
I'm not even making a judgment call as to whether or not they're saved. Ultimately, that's between them and God. We know them by their fruits. We all judge that on an individual basis uh, as far as, you know, recognizing one of our own. But they don't bring glory to God. They bring scrutiny. They bring criticism. And they bring judgment from people on the outside. And that's why people look at the Catholic Church and just auto automatically dismiss all priests as pedophiles. And you, when you know that they're not. You see what we're saying? Let's let our eyes be single. Now, we can't control other believers. Recognized, understood, granted. We can't control other believers. I can't control the people here in this church. I can't control you. And I would scarcely presume to even try. I'm not going to step into the role of the Holy Ghost. I'm just going to fulfill the role that God called me to. So we can't control others, but we can control ourselves. Oh, man, this, this is what came up over the weekend, didn't it? I think this came up on Sunday night um, about the responsibility for our relationship with God is in our own hands. It is up to us to yield to the influence of the Holy Ghost. It is up to us to yield to the instruction of the Word of God, is it not? It's up to us. God always leaves it up to us. He doesn't force us. He doesn't, he'll compel us. He'll try to woo us and influence us, but he never forces us. Okay, well then if it's all about influence rather than compulsion, all right, we can't force people into the church. That wouldn't be a worthy thing anyway, or else God would do it himself. Well then what we're left with is influencing. The best way for a believer to be an influence in the world is to be the best believer they can possibly be. The best, the most devout, the most upright, the best self-governing, following the Spirit of God. That's the best way that we can influence people. Now that doesn't, that doesn't um, take away from the importance of speaking to people. Okay, Lifestyle evangelism, as it's been called, is only part of the equation. That's only part of the equation. It's, you also have to reach out Talk to somebody sometime about the Word. Talk to them about Jesus. See where they are. See what they're willing to accept. Let's move on. Verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon in this context it typically refers to money or earthly gain. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Now let me stop right there. The thought continues for a little while after that, but I want to stop right there because this ties directly into what we were just talking about. We began this uh, teaching with verse 19 where he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where things can break in and corrupt them, things can rot, they can tarnish, they can rust, or they can just get stolen, okay? You lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where your treasures will be safe, okay? And then it's, this ties into that, about not being concerned with all, not being overly concerned, I should say, with these earthly things. The Gentiles pursue these things. The ungodly, the sinner, the people who are not right with God. And you know, when I say that, I'm not saying that with a, with a high mind. I'm not saying that looking down our, my nose, or we don't look down our nose at people. 
But that's what the world seeks. That's what Babylon seeks after. They're the ones that are always chasing dollar bills. And that has so infiltrated the church. It's infiltrated families and it's infiltrated marriages. And it's so infiltrated the church that it's got believers obsessed with the same stupid green pieces of paper with dead presidents on them. Money comes and goes, man. And if you love money, then that, what did he say? The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money itself that's evil. And it's not the root of evil, okay? All money is is a means to an end. It's a, it's a measure of exchange. It's something that allows us to function in a human society without having to either barter or kill. Really. You can really reduce it to, to, to that basic of a level. Maybe even more so. But it's just something that allows us to play the game. And that's all it is. Economics is a game. It's a system. And the system itself is not bad. But he said that the love of money, it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Because the love of money is what fosters greed in the human heart. And greed is the, is the root cause of so many problems in the world. Now you hear folks on the left that are always banging on political left. I'll bring politics into this a little bit because it relates directly to what we're talking about. You hear people on the left always banging on about greedy corporations, greedy capitalists, greedy, 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 greedy. Oh, corporations are evil, companies are evil, businesses are evil. They talk about the greed of corporations and the greed of businesses and the greed of capitalists and the greed of the rich, you know, because like, like the rich are this one little tiny elite pocket of people and nobody else is. That whole 1% versus 99% uh, nonsense that, that arose during that, uh, that abysmal, abysmally disorganized Occupy movement that was just a great big farce and an excuse for people to wreak havoc. Um, well, anyway, not to turn it into a lesson in economics, but the root of the matter, the problem is greed. It's not capitalism, it's not corporations, it's not businesses. Because the same greed that the left rails against, okay, is the same greed that occupies their own hearts. That's why they always want other people's money. Because that's what socialism is all about. Distributing other people's money. Okay, and that same greed infects the hearts of governments. Especially socialist governments. And if you don't believe that, travel to a socialist nation and tell me who's living in palaces. The ruling party. It's the ruling party members. El Presidente. You know, the, you know what I'm talking about? The guy with the ribbons that cover the entire left side of his chest and has to start pinning him to his pants legs? That's North Korea right there. True story, not exaggerating, okay? The problem isn't the system. The problem is greed. The problem isn't the system. The problem is when greed infects something, and it can infect absolutely anything. It infects churches. That's so what we call money churches, where they're always preaching about money. Give, 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 give more. Give till it hurts. Give till it hurts. So just give, give more. You didn't give enough. Send the offering basket around a second time during the same service. I've heard of people doing that. They did that in the South a lot. I don't know if they still do. I escaped from that part of the country a long time ago. Praise God. Anyway, the, pro, the, the point is greed. And that's Jesus' lesson here. No man can serve two masters. No man can serve two masters, for either either, he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and then despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
You can't serve God and money. Money is supposed to be your servant. You're not supposed to serve it. We're not supposed to love that stuff. We're supposed to manage it, use it, thank God for it, be generous with it in, in someone else's time of need if we can be, you know. And then ultimately, keep our heart and our affections fixed on things above, setting our treasures in heaven. Setting our treasures in heaven. Therefore, because of that, okay, therefore, verse 25, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the body more, or is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? In other words, isn't it about more than just the stuff we can get and consume and use? Again, that's what Babylon chases. That's what the world chases. We, as believers and children of the Most High God, we're supposed to have better, higher, nobler priorities than these things. We've got to, or we'll fall into the same, bad, the same trap of bad priorities that so many of them are in. And even if, they, even if they're in their pursuit of these priorities, even if they achieve and attain and prosper and all of that, and they're the ones living in the mansion up on the north end, or they're the ones that, that have a four-car garage or more, you know, with all four cars filled, or, or all four bays filled, even if they gain the world, Jesus said, or, or, or like Jesus said, even if they gain the whole world but then lose their own soul, what have they profited? And in a materialist-driven society, in a capitalist society, any society at all, it's not just in capitalism. Capitalism's the greatest, man, because it rewards effort, typically, where the system isn't being rigged by those in power. Not just by, I'm not talking about the rich. I'm talking about those who occupy um, positions of, of uh, elected power and things like that. But in any kind of system at all, whether it's capitalist, whether it's socialist, whether it's somewhere in the middle, whether it's a monarchy, whether it's some combination of those greed the danger of greed is in every single one of those and it can infect any of those and it can infect any heart that sets its affections on the wrong things have you ever been greedy in your life I'm not asking for a show of hands just to answer that in your heart have you ever been greedy or covetousness covetous at all in your life been driven by a compulsion to earn or to have or to own or to buy or anything like that and those are very real compulsions and if you've ever heard of people that were um they were they call them shopaholics it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek a tongue-in-cheek term but it, it can become a very real addiction there is an addiction to going and spending money and buying things and bringing them home because it provides a false sense of fulfillment. We can't allow ourselves to be trapped by that kind of a compulsion. We can't allow ourselves to become driven by the ownership of things and the spending of money and be seduced by the love of money. We can't. If we do that, then the love of God has either started to ebb or has already gone out. And we've got to recover that. Set our hearts on things above. Set our hearts on things above. And there's a verse that I want to get to that, that really nails that in place before we dismiss. I've already burned up our time on this. But he says, verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air. 
For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? God takes care of the beasts of the field. He's going to take care of us. He'll take care of you. He'll open doors of opportunity. He'll bring blessings your way that you never even saw coming. It happens. It happens. It happens. And it happens over and over again. So he gives us an example from nature there. And then he goes on in verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Man, that really puts it in perspective. That really puts it in perspective. The teaching here is very clear to us. Don't worry about it. That's the takeaway from this whole thing, from this whole, uh, especially, well, no, from verse 19 forward. The takeaway is don't worry about it. God has it covered. God will take care of you. Just trust him, which is belief. That's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe upon God is to trust upon God. Those two are in, uh, uh, ultimately, uh, they're not really separable. The one leads into the other, and then you have them both, and they're intertwined for life. See, it's, it's don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Wherefore, verse 30, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And there's a lot that we can, we can pull out of this, not just the teaching to, to lay our concerns and cast our cares upon God, but he's also making a clear distinction that there is an intrinsic worth to humankind that is far greater than the beasts of the field. Okay, so for all you PETA members that are out there, he said, jokingly, I don't think anybody here is really involved in that. For all of you animal rights activists out there, God counts human beings as far more valuable. Now that, again, that doesn't allow, that doesn't, you know, not to promote going to, in, to any ditch of extremism, okay? That doesn't mean that we should just go out and, and kill all of an entire species and make it extinct. There's such a thing as being a great waster, okay? It's not to say that that sort of thing is justified, but God counts us as being vastly more valuable than the beasts of the field or the fowls of the air. And if God takes care of them when they live and die, and God takes care of the grass of the field and the flowers and the lilies of the field, then he says all of this to adjust and calibrate our own perspective on our own intrinsic worth as human beings. God values us because we and we alone are made in his image. The angels can't even claim that. We alone are made in the image of God. Something to consider, something to remember. Verse 31, therefore take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And he refers to the Gentiles because again, he's teaching Jews. And he's drawing that line of, of, uh, of contrast, that line of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles, which was still very much in place at this time. Or at that time, excuse me. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But, this is the biggest part of the lesson. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things 
shall be added unto you. Take no thought, therefore. Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So you can take 33 and verse 34 together. But let's take that focus on verse 33 for a moment. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So he's told us what not to do. This is how this is very much Jesus's teaching style throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He tells us what not to do, but then he makes it sure, makes sure that we understand what we ought to do, not just what we shouldn't do. He fills in that void, that vacuum with then what we ought to do. Take no thought for what we wish for what we should eat. Take no thought for what we should drink. Take no thought for what what uh, we should wear. In other words, take no thought for the cares of this life. Don't let them consume you. He really wants us to be, and I'm going to use the word, although it's slightly misleading, but I'll flip it around then so it clarifies it. He really wants us to be carefree or free of care. The word carefree in the English language or the, the phrase carefree um, sort of implies uh, a carelessness. Uh, a happy-go-lucky, sort of naive, childish carelessness, and that's not really what he's promoting. He means free of care, free of worry, free of anxiety, because those things are the opposite of being full of faith and of trusting in God. A person who trusts God implicitly is pretty carefree. It's pretty free of worry. Now again, that's not to say that they become reckless and irresponsible. It just means we do what we can. This has been coming up a lot lately. We do what we can as responsible um, adult Christians, right? And where there's a shortcoming, when we, when we have done all that we can and we can do no more, where our abilities have run out or our resources have run out, God makes up the lack. These windows. I haven't talked about them for a long time. You gotta give me credit. I haven't talked about these windows for a long time. When we first came here, we had the old windows in place, and they were old and they were dry rotted and they really needed to be replaced. But you know, we had just gotten here. We had only gotten here about you know seven or eight months prior, eight or nine months prior, and resources weren't really there to remove ten windows and install twenty because you're looking at twenty of them, twenty of them in ten openings. Well, we did what we could. And God blessed and made up the lack. And we were able to replace every single one of these things. And, and I still like them very much. There, uh, now I'll go a few more weeks maybe without mentioning them. It's just, it's a blessing to see. And that's just one example. There's so many others and far better examples in a believer's life if we just do what Jesus taught us. And that is, cast your cares upon God. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, or where your food's going to come from, or where the money's going to come from. Do what you can. Do not be anxious. Do not be fearful. Do not be um, uh, full of worry and of concern, but just leave it in the hands of God. Of God. Once you've done all you can, leave the rest in God's hands. He'll come on the scene. He'll make something happen according to His will. According to His will. And you know the difference, well, no, I don't want to get off into that. That's probably a good place to, to tack it down right there. So one more time from verse 20, verse 33 forward. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Okay, there's the commandment. And his righteousness. 
So the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So in other words, don't just seek a godly environment and a godly and an upright society, but seek to be righteous yourself. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that way it's both outside of you and inside of you. Does that make sense? We want to live in a virtuous and an upright and an honest and a moral society. That's a good thing. But you're never going to have that if it's not in us. Okay? And there's a whole other teaching in there. So seek them both. Seek the kingdom of God and seek God's righteousness. And then what's the promise? All these things. The food, the drink, the raiment, the house, the car, the physical necessities of life, quite a few of the luxuries of life. All of these things will be added unto you in God's timing. In God's timing. And you can't teach on this without touching on that because that's one of the most crucial things. Some believers never realize any of these blessings in their life because they don't seek God's righteousness. They might seek the kingdom, but they don't really seek His righteousness. And so they're not in a place where they can handle the blessings of God because then those blessings eclipse God. And I bring that up because it happens over and over again in a lot of people's lives. So let's take away that lesson too. If we seek the, if we seek the kingdom of God and we seek the righteousness of God, then we'll be in a place where God can bless us and add all of these things to our life. So let's wrap it up with verse 34. Take no thought. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. For the morrow shall take the thought, well, shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What in the world good does it do to worry about tomorrow? And worry does very terrible things to the immune system and to the physiology of a body. It really can wreck things, mess up thyroid and adrenals and a whole bunch of other stuff in your body. Worry can be catastrophic if you indulge in too much of it. What good does worry do for the Christian? Nothing. It's the opposite of faith. It's the opposite of faith. And when he tells us, take no thought for tomorrow, don't worry about it. He's even said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. It's going to take thought for itself. Christian, don't worry about it. Do what you can and leave the rest in the hands of God. And let me tell you what will happen. You'll sleep in peace. And you'll wake up refreshed or at least less exhausted than you were. Your body starts to heal and adjust from all the worry and stress. Okay, what will happen is you'll learn to just take things a day at a time. You'll be responsible. You do what you know what to do. You, 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 know, you put things in place that you can, but then you exercise your faith. And when you exercise your faith, your faith, like anything else, will grow. And it'll be greater. And then it'll be greater. Don't worry about it. Just be right, trust God, and then sit back and watch and bless. I dare you to try it if it's not something you're doing already. But let's go ahead and stop it there. We'll pick it up next week, or yes, next week, Lord willing, in chapter 7. begins with that famous verse, Judge not that you be not judged. And we're going to take that. We're going to have fun with that. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.
www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving.